few weeks ago, I let you know that we have an opportunity to buy this property. We began a campaign on GoFundMe called Here to Stay. And the great news, of course, is on the GoFundMe account, we've raised $2.5 million of our first $5 million goal. We can applaud that, we can celebrate that, so good. The insanity of this is that we need to raise $20 million to buy this property, and we have about six weeks to do this. So I wanna just like communicate the urgency of this, because I'm not gonna carry this alone. This is ours to carry. And so if all of us give sacrificially, if all of us dig deep and find creative ways to give everything we can, we're still gonna need a miracle, which puts us in a great posture. Because we'll, we will not own this property in six weeks if God does not show up. This property is the singular property in Los Angeles that's designated religious nonprofit, non-taxable. The fact that this property is already zoned religious nonprofit is a miracle by itself. It's as if God prepared this property for us. The question is, are we prepared for what God has for us? We're not trying to buy this building for the building. We're trying to buy this building for the people. This mosaic becomes a gateway, an entry point for so many people searching for God. We have a timeline. June 30th is our deadline. And so I just wanna let you know, so it's never a surprise, in six weeks, we will either be moving to buy this property or we will be moving from this property. We have this critical moment in front of us. And this is something we want to bear together and do together. I'm not sure if there's a, a global network that communicates to people who believe in Jesus what parts of the Bible they should all remember. But everywhere I go around the world, it's amazing how the same verses, the same passages are known all over the world. We all universally ignore the same parts of the Bible together <laughs> and highlight particular parts of the Bible. I think there's a reason for that. It's that we all have common experiences. We all have common experiences of fear and doubt and common experiences of feeling insignificant and overwhelmed by life. And so certain particular promises or declarations in the scriptures elevate because we need them so badly. And one of the passages that came to me so early in my journey of faith, and if you've had any kind of faith journey, you've probably heard this passage. And it's a really great promise, by the way. And if this is your first time to hear it, hold on, because it's a good one. It's in an obscure book called Jeremiah, which is one of the prophets in the Old Testament, in chapter 29, in verse 11. And really, what's around that passage doesn't really matter, because that could just make life more complicated. Because we love promises without context. And then we wonder why the promise never becomes our context. And so we're going to just allow the promise to hit us at first, and then we'll ruin our day with the context. <laughs> In verse 11, it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Now, one of the things that frustrates my wife, Kim, is how little I know. But I don't actually think it's how little I know that frustrates her. It's how little I admit I know. 
Because a lot of times she, she tells me, you need to know more because you're leading this entire community and people expect you to know things. And when you don't know things and you admit you don't know things, it reduces the amount of confidence people have in you. But I just decided a long time ago, I wasn't going to pretend that I know things I don't know. So most of the time, I'm not up here telling you I know this. But I'm going to tell you something I know. And when I tell you something I know, it's so rare that you should actually listen carefully. But this isn't actually something I know. It's something that God says he knows, and I believe that God knows this. It says, for I know the plans I have for you. Now, I personally do not know the plans God has for you. But isn't it good to know that someone actually knows and someone actually has plans for you. Now the problem is when we hear the word plan, our idea of a plan is different than God's idea of a plan. Because have you ever planned your day? Some of you are planners. So some of you like planning other people's days. That's called marriage. So oftentimes Kim plans my day. And she lets me know that plan when she perceives it's the right time to let me know. So her plan for my life unfolds gradually throughout the day. And we want God's plan for our life to be very concrete, very linear, very, 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 very approachable. A to B to C. God, make the plan clear. And if you're hoping for that, you're, be prepared for great disappointment. Because when he says, I know the plans I have for you, God is not saying, I have an A to B to C for you. I do not have this concrete, linear plan for your life. By the way, if he had that, you would be miserable. He says, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Those are broad, sweeping plans. So you can know that God's plan for your life is not to harm you. By the way, I hear a lot of people get really confused about the pain in their life. I hear people say, when they're suffering, when life goes bad, when something really horrific happens, well, that's just God's plan for your life. I want you to know that if you have been harmed, wounded, violated, hurt, if you suffered, that was never God's plan for your life. He makes it really clear right here, so you can know, because so many things are gonna happen to you in your life. He says, so everything that is there to harm you is not my plan for your life. That's someone else's plan. That's someone else's plan invading his plan for your life. Because my plan is to prosper you, but we don't really wanna know that. We wanna know how, when, where, and why not now. We want God to be really specific. But he says, I want you to know I have plans to prosper you and not to harm you. And, I, and my plans are to give you a future and a hope. And if you're here and you feel overwhelmed by life, if you feel desperation, if you're depressed about the condition of your life, I want you to one of the beautiful things about God is that when you trust him with your life, he promises you that he will give you a future and a hope. But some of you are like, I don't want a future hope. I need a present hope. And the reason we get so frustrated with God is because we want God to do something now. To give us everything that is waiting for us in the future in this moment, and that's called magic. You're standing in this moment, and in the future somewhere, if you trust God, there's a future and a hope. Now, the problem is if you wait too long, you're going to die. 
And if you keep waiting for that future and a hope and you're near death, you start going, okay, that future hope is in the afterlife. That's why for so long, so many people who had faith in God started putting more hope in life after death than life before death. Because they never found that future hope, so they figured that future hope had to be in the future that's not this future, but another future. But stay with me just for a moment. Because the future isn't just something that we're going to. The future is something we are in right now. You see, 20 years ago, this was the future. 10 years ago, this moment was the future. Five years ago, this moment was the future waiting for you. And this moment could have been the future with the hope. If you had applied five years ago, what you needed to apply to cause the promise to become your life. Now, earlier on, the Nickelodeon crew that came up here I think it was Ari who said, get each other's names. And what was, what your, and your eighth grade email address. Well, that's a good way of knowing I do not belong here tonight. Because when I was in eighth grade, emails did not exist, Ari. When I was in eighth grade, the internet did not exist. They hadn't even started thinking about the concept of the internet. We were just working out fire. (laughs) Who could have ever guessed in eighth grade that your entire world would be a web rather than a neighborhood? Imagine if you had made choices then that would impact your life now. The future is now. But you cannot change this future in the now. See, the problem is that so many of us, we want God to give us this future hope in this moment. But if you wanted this future hope in this moment, you should have made a decision in a moment in the past. But you cannot go back and change your past. So you need to live in the past in this moment right now. You need to realize that this moment one day will be remembered by you. And you will look back on this moment and decide, did I make the choices in that moment that postured my life to receive the future hope I've been longing for? So in the middle of this incredible challenge called Here to Stay, And the great challenge for me is that we have six weeks to step into something extraordinary, something miraculous, something beyond us. But what I want to talk to you about right now will not change your life in these six weeks, but it will change your life for six years from now or 60 years from now and may change the course of history for 600 years from now. We keep wanting God to act as if he's a magician to change our lives when it has no impact on our essence. But God changes us, and by changing us, he changes our future. So he promises, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, 
plans to give you a future and a hope. And by the way, that's how you can know you're moving into the future God has for you. Because if your future is a future of hope, then when your life is hopeless, you're not in the future God created for you. Your future is supposed to be expanding. Your hope is supposed to be expanding. But the context is very odd. See, the context of this promise, Jeremiah, his, his life began at the end of Israel's captivity by the Assyrians, and then uh, and it or it begins and then it ends with the captivity of the Babylonians. So the people of Israel go from being slaves and captives to the Syrians, and then slaves and captives to the Babylonians. And Jeremiah is talking to them when their whole world has fallen apart. In fact, chapter 29 basically tells us that the Israelites have been exiled out of Jerusalem. They've been dispersed across Babylon. They, they have lost everything that belonged to them. The Babylonians took their homes, their property. They took their freedom. They took everything they had and then sent them out as exiles. And they lost not only all their possessions, but all their hope. And here they hear God saying, I have a plan for you. And this plan is full of a future and a hope. And they're like, God, I don't want to talk to you about the future. I want to talk to you about my present. Have you ever dated someone that you knew they were about to break up with you? So you broke up with them? Because you didn't want to give them a chance to break up with you? Now, whenever you hear guys tell a story... There's never been a guy on this planet that's ever been broken up with. You just never hear it. Guys never go, oh, yeah, she broke my heart. Guys always go, yeah, no, nah, I was done. <laughs> no. Like, I just, I, I wasn't feeling it. Like, the moment I saw her dating my best friend, I wasn't feeling it anymore. I knew it was over. <laughs> but women, they're more honest. Like, I gave up my heart. I thought, I thought it was true love. And... and they left me. But what a lot of us do is we, we, we use this, this protective mechanism. The moment we think someone's going to reject us, we reject them. See, I think a lot of us actually reject God because we're convinced that God rejected us. We actually walk away from God because we're convinced God walked away from us. You see, the people of Israel felt abandoned by God. How could God be there when the Assyrians came and conquered them? How could God be there when the Babylonians came and conquered them? How could God be there when they lost all their possessions? They lost their homes, their properties. They lost everything. How could God be there when they were under so much persecution? How could God be there when there was so much suffering and pain and disappointment in their life? And they assumed that God had abandoned them, so they abandoned God. And one of the most difficult things in the world to do is when your life is falling apart and your life is filled with pain, to not become embittered toward God and break up with him because you think he broke up with you. Wow. To give up on him because you think he gave up on you. To abandon him because you think he abandoned you. Because you are greatly mistaken. In those moments of great pain and darkness, that's when God is closest and nearest to you. So how... Well, they step into this future hope. How in this world that has been turned upside down? Back to verse 4 in chapter 29 of Jeremiah. The Lord says this. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Wait a minute, wait a minute. This is really confusing. It's almost as if God's telling the story wrong. 
Listen again what he said. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says, to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Wait a minute. What do, you mean, what do you mean, God, you carried us into exile? See, I, I think a lot of us have a misunderstanding of how God works. If you can use Jerusalem as a, meta, as a metaphor, Jerusalem is the metaphor, that place where we can all come together, all of us who believe, all of us who agree, and we can all live life together, and we can be disconnected from all the Babylons in the world. You know what Babylon is. It's them. You know who they are, not us. Have you ever noticed, even in our cultural conversation, Christianity acts as if it's a battle between us and them? I mean, it's, it's a real, it's, to me, it's, it's really disturbing that, that, that so many Christians in America think that the United States is supposed to become Jerusalem. We're supposed to be this, this Christian nation where everyone gets to be safe from everyone else. But God says, I want, you, I want to be really, really clear. I'm going to have a conversation with you in the middle of a moment but I don't want you to blame the Babylonians for what just happened because I carried you into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. See, I think that sometimes we misunderstand how God's intention, how his purpose, how his plan for our lives is not really simply about us. It's about the impact, the influence, the good we can do in the world around us. And God is so willing and ready to move us out of Jerusalem into Babylon so that we can actually become a gift to Babylon. So in verse 5, he says, here's the strategy. You want a future and a hope? Here it is. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. He says, make a home here. The Israelites wanted God to get them out of Babylon. And God is saying, I'm not going to let you out of Babylon. I want you to build houses. I want you to settle down. I want you to plant gardens and eat what they produce. Now, there's something really beautiful here. He's saying, I want you to have a long-term strategy that will only work if you make Babylon your home. See, God never intended for his people to live lives of isolation and separation from the rest of humanity. Whatever Babylon is, whoever you think Babylon is, that's where you're supposed to be. You're supposed to build houses there and settle down. Oh, by the way, I, I do know that God says build houses. He doesn't say houses are coming. <laughs> and I, I'm not sure why, but a, a lot of what we call faith is actually just magic. It's just superstition. Like, you know, just, just write the dream under your pillow and... In the morning, watch how it will manifest itself. It won't. It will just be words under a pillow. It says, build houses. So God is assuming, even in captivity, they will reclaim their wealth. It's crazy, but it's going to be reclaimed through work. I, I think we get confused. We, we, we hear this language of good works. And we know that good works aren't necessarily the right thing because we use good works to explain how we get God's approval. So we've been taught we need to do good works so that God will love us. We need to do good works so that God will accept us. We need to do good works so we can get to heaven. We need to do good works so that we can override all the bad things we did. And, and so we know that if you're a person of faith and you live by grace and you realize, oh, it's not about good works, it's about God's great grace. And so it's just that God loves us and accepts us unconditionally. You don't have to do anything to earn God's love. 
So when you think of good works, just know that, that that's not the right understanding of things. But sometimes when we go, okay, good works are bad, we actually think that hard work is bad. So when a person works hard, you go, see, you're not trusting God. What are you doing, man? I'm working hard. Where's your faith? So he said, so we're going to chill because I have faith. So I'm not about good works, but you're not even about hard work. And one thing that Kim pointed out to me so important is that while we need to understand that good works is not needed to, to be accepted by God, that when you are accepted by God, you begin doing good work. And so you begin caring about the poor. You begin caring about injustice. You begin caring about those trapped in poverty. You begin caring about people you would have never cared about because you're connected to God. So quick, quick summary. Good works, bad. Good work, awesome. Hard work, really, really important. And there are people who try to make hard work seem unspiritual. But I'm just going to tell you, I shamelessly love working hard. I'm really committed to working hard. And I think working hard is a spiritual act. And I'm absolutely thrilled that I have a daughter and a son who work so hard because they picked up my wife's compulsive drive to work and mine. I recently had a phone call with a really good friend who used to work on our team here years ago. And then he moved to another part of the country and, and we're still really connected and really close. And we were needing a few things here on our team and I was talking to him and I said, hey, would you ever consider coming back you know, to Mosaic to be on, on my team? And he said, no. He said, no, no, I mean, you know, come back. Like to LA, you know, to the epicenter of human creativity, to the capital of the future. And, and, and he said, Erwin, let me just explain. When I left Mosaic and came to work here, my workload dropped by 90%. In fact, I'm like the hardest working employee at 10%. And the first year I felt really guilty and I kept trying to create projects. And they kept saying, well, let's table that. It's a little too much. Let's table that maybe next year. And I kept trying to do more work until I realized I was ruining the culture by demanding to work more. So I just finally gave up and started working less. And I started hanging out with my wife and my kids and going to the movies and enjoying life. And now I'm used to it. So no, I'm not going to ever go back to work <laughs> 90% more. And by the way, you paid me four times less than they pay me. So you're asking me to come back and work 10 times more at one-fourth the salary, and no, I'm good. We'll be friends, but I'm never coming back. And, which means there is a chance. And, right? <laughs> See, I want to be so clear. I believe in hard work. And I think there's some people who want God to do great things in their life, and they don't want to pay a price for it. They want it to come easy. They just want God to, to, to make it happen. You just want to imagine it or visualize it or pray it in. Let me tell you, God said, build houses. Yeah. And building takes work. Yeah. And settle down, make a home here. And then he says, plant gardens and eat what they produce. Now, I know for most of you, this is a new concept. 
Because what you do is you go over to pavilions or Erwans or Whole Foods or Trader Joe's. Oh, come on, you and I can make it, but you even go to Ralph's. <laughs> and you buy fruit and vegetables that are sitting there for you, waiting for you. And you, it never crosses your mind what it took for that asparagus to get there, for, that, for those Brussels sprouts to get there, for those blackberries to get there, for that kale, whatever that is, to get there. Because some farmer planned ahead. See, someone had to work soil, plant seeds, water and nurture a crop so that we could do nothing ahead of time to get what we want and we need. And what has happened is we have translated this framework into every area of our life. We think we should just get instantly whatever we want. And if it's God's plan for our life, shouldn't it come easy? Shouldn't God's plan for your life come on the shelf, already wrapped, already cleaned, already crowned? Why should you do any work? Sorry, don't get me started. We live in a city of dreamers, but we don't really live in a city of doers. And the dreamers who do, they're the ones that rise to the top. You have to work. And in a world where everyone has the same amount of talent you have, the same amount of intelligence you have, what will separate you from everyone else is how hard you're willing to work. And that is an act of faith. Work is a sacred act. If you want to prepare your future to be filled with hope, make a home here. Wherever here is, if here is here in Hollywood or in L.A., if here is in Seattle or Orange County, if here is Mexico City or, or Venice Beach or Pasadena, wherever home is for you, build a future. It still haunts me that a couple of months ago when we were looking at Hollywood and trying to figure out why it's so difficult to build something permanent here. And Aaron looked at me and says, Dad, no one comes to Hollywood to stay. Are we a city of vagabonds, of transients who are just passing through, who are only here to see what we can take from the city rather than what we can give to it? Build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce. If you don't produce, why should you expect to eat? He goes on in verse 6, marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. He says, make a home here and build a future here. Do you realize he's saying to Israel, make a home in Babylon. Build a future in Babylon. And he's very clear. Marry and have sons and daughters. There's not a lot of options, but... Those are the two major ones. And uh, have sons and daughters. And it says, find wives for your sons. I read that and I feel so convicted. <laughs> My wife and I have failed in this endeavor. And uh, we've, we've tried. We've tried to find just one wife for our one son. And we're not greedy. We're not asking for wives. We're just asking for one wife. <laughs> but it just hasn't happened. And... Um, 
So he's in Mexico. Perhaps in another nation he will find his wife. And uh, uh, find wives for your sons. And, and then it says, and give your daughters in marriage. I'd love to say I gave my daughter in marriage, but, but uh, she went ahead and she was very proactive. And, and, <laughs> and I, I think she was up here singing. He was down there pretending to sing. And uh, he went to welcome to Mosaic. And... Uh, <laughs> Uh, to say hello to Mosaic, and, uh, and I know when you're up here and you're single and you're leading people in worship, you're not scanning the room, but I think Mariah did notice Jake Goss and, uh, and, and made a covenant right there with God. And, uh, <laughs> and I wasn't crazy about the idea that she was falling in love with a drummer. Like of all the career options I thought for my wife, I did not think, oh, I would love for her to marry a drummer who's living with a bunch of guys in an apartment who still needs his mom and dad. But he ended up becoming the best human being we could have ever wanted for our daughter. And he's extraordinary. He's made our family better. And, and I don't even have to worry about my daughter because she has the most extraordinary husband in the world. And... But when Aaron was three and Mariah was 30 days old and we moved here to LA, you cannot know how many people told us, how can you do that to your children? We had so many pastors and their wives tell us, how can you possibly move your children to Los Angeles? You need to have more concern for your kids. And so many of these pastors stayed in the Midwest and stayed in the and what is perceived as the safest part of America. And what's odd is 30 years later, so many of their kids have had tragic devastating ends and here's the reality is if you raise your kid in the garden they cannot thrive in the jungle and some of you you're going through the transition from the garden to the jungle but he says I want you to build a future here this is a part of why I, I, I really try to not be political. But the part that really concerns me about our cultural conversation with Christianity and politics and our cultural values is that it seems like Christianity wants so badly to force our nation to act Christian. Because we do not believe that if they meet Jesus, Becoming like him will become the natural outflow of their life. And we just don't want to live in Babylon. We want to live in Jerusalem. And I, I know I've shared this, but it just fits so perfectly because a while back, one of the presidential candidates came to our house and he came to visit me and he was working on a movie project because everybody is. And, and he was in my backyard and he kept using the language of us versus them. We and they, we and they, us and them, we and they, us and them, and just kept going on and on and on. And frankly, I didn't get to say a whole lot because usually politicians do all the talking. And finally, after a while, I said, I just have one question. And he goes, what's that? I said, who are they and who are we? He goes, we are the people of faith. We are the believers. They are Hollywood. They are the ones trying to destroy our nation. They are the ones that we are in a war against. And I go, this is going to be really awkward and uncomfortable. I said, but I'm not we. I'm they. 
You're talking to they right here. You see, I, I, I think the problem is that we actually don't love the people we say we want to help. We don't love the people we say we want to reach. We don't love the people that desperately need to know that Jesus loves them. And here God is saying to Israel, stop trying to get out of Babylon, make a home here, and build a future here. So you need to have kids, yes, and then your kids are going to know their kids, and your kids are going to date their kids, and your kids are going to marry their kids, because you're going to grow up together. It's a beautiful thing. I, I love the fact that our whole family is in L.A., and that we love this community, and that we love this place. And then he goes on to say this. He says, increase the number there and do not decrease. Do not be afraid of the world around you. Have kids. Build a future. And then it says in verse 7, also, I like this, also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. God reinforces, I have carried you into exile to that city. So stop despising that city. Stop trying to get out of that city. Stop praying against that city. You need to actually seek the peace and prosperity of the city which I have carried you into. And he says, he says, pray for it. Oh, I'll pray. Pray for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Wait, 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 wait a minute. Do not add a contingency that my prosperity is dependent on their prosperity. God, this needs to be a clear win-lose. We thrive, they do not. God, you bless us as Israel, and you condemn Babylon. See, it's, it's been a problem ever since the beginning. When God first called out Abram and made him Abraham, he said, you're going to be a blessing to all the nations. You're going to be the father of one nation that's going to be a blessing to every nation. They go, well, no, no, no. We like the first half. We want you to bless our nation, but we'd like to forget that we're supposed to be a blessing to every nation. See, God never chose one nation over all the other nations. God chose one nation because he was choosing all the nations. And we could never get it right. We just couldn't get it right. So God's saying, I'm going to give you another chance. I'm going to give you prosperity completely in relationship to how much prosperity you give. So you need to seek the peace and prosperity of the city, of the Babylonians, and you need to pray for their prosperity. And then it all connects. You see, we like, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans of welfare and not destruction. Plans of the future and a hope. We love that God is promising us a future and a hope. But we never talk about that that future and a hope can only be found if we give our lives to bring a future and a hope to others. I always feel a little nervous around the word prosperity. And it's, it's mostly because of this thing called the prosperity gospel. It became very popular. It, 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 it normally has its greatest effect when you're working with the poor. Because people are so desperate to come out of poverty that you can manipulate them so easily. Especially when you use God's name. And the, the basic tenet of the prosperity gospel is you give to God and God gives to you. You're generous to God, God's generous to you. And it's one of the ways that 
that people of faith in every religion in many ways get people to give money. But we never teach that here. Because what that does is it corrupts your soul. Because if you give to God so that God will give to you, it actually makes you greedy so it makes you less like God. And it makes you a destructive force in the world. So I would never, never, never want you to give to God or to the church thinking that somehow God was going to give you back because you gave to him. See, I want you to know that that will so corrupt your soul that you may not find your way back from that. You cannot give to God because God's going to give to you. God's already generous, by the way. He doesn't need you to give to him for him to give to you. In fact, what the scriptures tell us is that God reigns on the righteous and the unrighteous. What that means is God's already generous to everybody. So you don't have to manipulate God or coerce God to be generous. He's already generous. But, but, but here is the basic tenet of what would be the right view of prosperity. God says, I want you to seek the prosperity of the city in which you're in. I want you to pray for the prosperity of the city you're in. I want you to make a home there. I want you to build a future there. And I want you to bring prosperity there. You want to build a future and a hope? Make a home here. Build a future here. Bring prosperity here. Stop trying to figure out how the city can fulfill your dreams. And start giving your life to help other people live out their dreams. And then trust God that if you'll seek the prosperity of others, God will take care of you. Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. What if this principle is the best measure of the sincerity of our own lives? See, when you're always consuming and taking, you're always leaving someone in a deficit. You know that statement, I, I, just, I want mine, I want what's mine? Isn't it odd whenever someone says, I just want what's mine, what's mine is always really what's yours? Because when people go, I just want what's mine, I want to come what's coming to me, they're always taking, 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 because they have a limited view of resources. And here's the crazy thing about God. God has an unlimited resource mentality. See, God doesn't need one person to be poor for the other person to be rich. God can actually prosper everyone. He doesn't want us all to be the same at the bottom. He wants us all elevating and living the life that we're created to live. And we cannot be afraid of someone else's success. We cannot be afraid of someone else's wealth. We cannot be afraid of someone else's prosperity because they have no impact on what God can do in your life. He says, so seek their prosperity. Well, last night we had a, a dinner at our house and I, I always find out about these things at the last minute. And, and Kim had this really amazing team. I didn't even know they existed. They're part of Mosaic. And you, you would think I would know, and, uh, but, but I, I know so little. And this team is called Team 11. That's a cool name. Kim goes, this is Team 11. I'm like, like, what happened to the first team? 10 teams, right? You know, <laughs> they're no longer with us. And uh, they're like MI6 or something like this, you know. And she goes, this is Team 11. And Team 11 starts coming into the house, and I'm meeting Team 11. And, 
And, and I've never, by the way, been invited to be a part of Team 11. I, I, I'm not qualified to be on Team 11. And, but I was informed that I would be cooking for Team 11. So I, I'm qualified to cook for Team 11. And, and so I, I meet my first Team 11 person. He's a really cool kind of looking guy and kind of quiet and kind of stealthy. He's from Peru. And he works for the World Bank. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think he can kill you in the blink of an eye. I don't know. And he works for the World Bank, and he, and he was an economist, and he has several different master's degrees from schools that actually, like, are accredited. And, uh, and, and, and he's, like, brilliant, Berkeley, and, and no? John Hopkins, you know, schools like that. Schools with multiple names. And... <laughs> And he travels the world. He goes, I'm leaving for Italy tomorrow. I said, of course, we all are. We're all living, leaving for Italy tomorrow. I'm leaving for Italy tomorrow to work for the World Bank. And I work mostly with farmers and, and fishermen. And I help develop um, the economic capacity and, and around the world. And I'm like, this is, this is Team 11. <laughs> and, and again, I want to remind you, I am not Team 11. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and then, see, Team 11 was there not for each other. Team 11 was there because they had one singular task. There was one family from Guatemala who had lost their property, their home, everything in Guatemala because the government didn't recognize their land rights because they're an indigenous Mayan tribe. And then while he was trying to survive in that part of the country, uh, the narcos uh, tried to get them to start becoming a drug runner and he refused. And when he refused to run drugs for them, they threatened to kill his family and so he had to escape Guatemala and came to the U.S. border. And when he came to the U.S. border with his family, ICE picked them up. And for the next eight or 10 months, they were held in detentions. And their little 10-year-old boy was separated from them. And one day, he woke up, and his son was gone without any notice. And they took his little 10-year-old boy to New York and put him in an uh, encampment there. And he was there for months and months and months without his parents. And then evidently, they were just treating him like an orphan, and they were going to put him up for adoption treating him as if he did not belong to his family. And, and sometimes our story is a really inhumane story. But I want you to know that a lot of times we're, we're only seen as the bad guys, but we're also the good guys because people from our nation, lawyers, got together and started helping them and, and started helping them come back together and, and found a way to get them into the United States illegally. And, and our community, Mosaic, has become the sponsors, the host community for them. And they live, right now they're just staying a few blocks from where we live. And last night they were at our house and we were cooking dinner for them. And Team 11 has one mission because they dared to accept it to help this Guatemalan family relocate here in Los Angeles and have a future and a home. Because if you're not committed to the peace and prosperity of others, don't expect God to bring any peace or prosperity to your life. Because he's not interested in giving prosperity to the greedy. God is interested in giving prosperity to the generous. And and we're having, and I, I mean, I'm cooking, and I'm having a great time, and their little boy just standing next to me the whole time watching me cook. And, and I said, do you want to become a cook? And he says, no. <laughs> I said, good, own the restaurant. Don't be the cook. Own the restaurant. And, and then a little while later, their little baby spilt, I don't know, juice or water or liquid all over the dad's pants, and he was soaking wet. And Kim came up to me, and she said, 
get him a, give him a pair of your pants. Do you have a pair of pants you could give him? And, and I, he was a smaller man, much smaller than me. And, and I thought, oh, he, he couldn't fit into my clothes. And, and then she goes, you have something. And, I, and then I thought to myself, I really, really like my pants. And uh, <laughs> it's, it's a horrible, I'm, I'm, a, I'm not a good human being all the time. You, you know, you ever have that moment where you're like, hmm. <laughs> you, you know, why, why can't she give him a pair of her pants? And, and, uh, and <laughs> so my, my initial, I'd love to say I'm so noble. I went, yes, you know, and, but, I, my, but my first thought was, you know, I'm, I'm cooking. I'm, I'm today, my contribution is I'm chefing and providing dinner and opening up my home. And of course, immediately I hear like this inner voice saying, you know, you're making me nauseous, go get it. <laughs> I have a pair of pants. I went upstairs and went through, and I was trying to find something that would fit him. And I just recently bought these, these pants, and, and, and I saw them. I thought, oh, they, they're kind of, they can adjust the size. And I thought, I bet you these would fit him. And so I grabbed them, and I took them downstairs. And, and I did think to myself, I don't know if he wants them, because, you know, they're not his style. You know, they're, they're comfortable, but they're not really his style. And so I went up to him, and he was still soaking wet. And I, and I said to him in Spanish, here, here, here's some pants for you. You can change clothes. They have to be wet. And he said, oh, no, it's okay. These pants will dry. And they were still just drenched. And, but it's the Latino thing. You can't say yes right away. And, and as a Latino, I know he has to say no. He has to say no. And if I don't ask a second time, the conversation's over. And so, I, but I thought, okay, I'll ask a second time. And I said, no, it's okay. Please, please put these on. And he said, no, it's okay. I'll be fine. Which is also still a Latino thing because every Latino knows you're insincere if you do not ask three times. It, it requires, right, three times. And, and so I had to take a deep breath. I thought, okay, I know what's going to happen the third time. It's, it's the real offer. And, and, and so I, I, I went, no, really, I'd love for you to have, you know, these, these pants. You, 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 I didn't say have, to use these pants. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, and then after the third ask, he went, thank you. And he grabbed them really fast. And, uh, and I thought, yeah, there it is. There's the third ask. It's the Latin way. And, uh, you know, because it, it would have been like the um, easier thing just to ask twice and go, he doesn't want them. And, and then he went and changed, and he came back. They looked great on him. Like, they fit him just right, and they were comfortable, and he was wearing them. And, and after an hour, whatever amount of time, I went up to him, and I, I said, you know, you look great in those pants. He said, oh, thank you so much. They're really comfortable, aren't they? And he goes, yeah, they really are comfortable. And, and I said, they're yours. They're yours to keep. And, and he said, thank you. <laughs> and he walked off with my pants, and... Uh, and you're, you're, you're welcome, and, uh, and it's just a wonderful reminder that, that everything you have is really supposed to be in transition. You know, someone actually sent me an email when we started talking about buying this property, and they sent me in an email. They said, I am not going to give to here to stay because I do not believe in giving to anything I do not own. And I thought, how sad and tragic for you. You'll die not realizing you never owned anything. See, your life will not be measured by what you own in this world, but what you give in this world. Our lives will not be measured by how many pair of pants we have or how much we have or how much wealth we've accumulated, how many lives we've touched, how many lives we've changed, how many people we've served, how much we've loved, how much we've sacrificed. And so the Lord says, seek 
the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray for it. Pray to the Lord for it. Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. I want you to know that this is not the first time I've seen you. We saw you 30 years ago when we prayed and we sought the peace and prosperity of this city. We saw you 25 years ago. We saw you 20 years ago. We saw you eight years ago when we first walked on this property and we walked down every single square foot of this building between every single place where these chairs are. And I want you to know, long before you ever even thought about walking into this place, we were praying for you. And we were praying for your peace and your prosperity. And we're praying that God would bless you in such an extraordinary way. And, and there's some of you here. See, this, this moment isn't for you the way you think it is. See, if we had just maybe thought differently 20 years ago, maybe we would be ready for this moment better. Maybe if we had planned 20 years ago, we could just buy this property now. But we can't go back 20 years and change what brought us to this moment. But there's some of you here right now, if you will choose, if you will choose to live your life as a reflection of who Jesus is, if you will choose to live your life for others, if you will choose to live the life that God created you to live 20 years from now, you'll be ready for that moment. And it won't simply be for you. See, everything in your life cannot be just for you. You can't keep praying and saying, God bless me. God do more in my life. God fulfill my dreams. God give me my destiny. Sometimes our prayers are so narcissistic, they have to be nauseating to God. There has to come a point in our life where we say, God, use me for generations to come. God, use me to prepare the future that people desperately need. I want to be that instrument of hope that the world desperately needs. So I want to ask you to choose now for your future. Because when you enter into a relationship with Jesus, God already knows the plans. The plan is a future with hope. And there's some of you here right now. Maybe you're in a moment you wish you were not in. But this moment was created by the past and the choices were made that led up to now. But in this now, you can make choices that will create a different future going forward. Would you bow your heads with me just for a moment? There's some of you here right now, this is the moment that your future begins. This is the moment where you will cross the line of faith, put your trust in Jesus, and let God give you the future he created you to live. God knows the plans he has for you. Plans of welfare, not destruction. God has a future full of hope for you. But you have to choose that future. That future will not be imposed on you. That future will not just somehow accidentally drop into your life. You have to choose the future God has for you.
by choosing Jesus and giving your life to him. And if you're ready to do that, I want to lead you in a prayer where you can give your life to Jesus and let him take you into your future. Will you pray with me right now? This simple prayer. Jesus, I give you my life. That's it. Just tell him. Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, I give you my life. If you're here and you prayed this prayer, this prayer is already shaping your future. Five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, this prayer will affect your eternity. If you're here and you just prayed this prayer, Jesus, I give you my life. I wanna pray for you right now. I wanna seal this moment with you. If this is your prayer, Jesus, I give you my life. I want you to raise your hand right now and let me see you. This moment right now, Jesus, I give you my life. Beautiful, beautiful. Anyone else right now? Wonderful, Jesus, I give you my life right now. Let's seal this moment in history. Right now, anyone else? Jesus, I give you my life. Beautiful, Jesus, I give you my life. This is a moment you will remember. Jesus, I give you my life. Father, I thank you for the women and men who in this moment stepped into their future, who crossed the line of faith and gave their lives to Jesus. God, so many things in my past I wish I could go back and do differently. So many choices I wish I could have chosen differently. But we cannot change the past. So today I choose the future. And God, I thank you for the individuals who in this moment have made a choice that moves them into your future for their life, that moves them into a future filled with freedom and love and forgiveness and grace and acceptance. I thank you that you've just moved them into a future filled with joy and community and friendship and acceptance and compassion I thank you, God, you just moved them into a future worth living for, a future and a hope is your gift to them. And we thank you, Jesus, and we pray in your name, amen. And we thank God for all those who just responded to him right now. So good, so good. And I'm so excited this moment is a moment in your future, and one day it'll be a moment in your past that will forever affect your future. So I hope one day, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, you'll look back and go, that was the moment my future began. I chose that. And, and by the way, for this moment, we have six weeks, and in six weeks, we will either miraculously be able to buy this property, or we will be miraculously moving from this property. And I know this, that if we have to leave this place, there's only one way I want to leave it. 
I want to leave this property knowing we've done everything we're supposed to do. That we've prayed, that we've sacrificed, that we've believed, that we've stepped into this moment. So I want to encourage you to go to GoFundMe and give, be a part of this movement with us. Because the context for miracle is sacrifice. And I don't want to ever have to stand before God and God say, why didn't you believe I could do this? Man, wouldn't it be amazing if in six weeks we're all celebrating because somehow all of us stepping into this moment created the environment for God to do the impossible for us. So let's lean in. Let's believe. Let's, let, let's not worry about getting it wrong. Let's believe with every fiber of our being. Let's just step into this with insane faith. Because we're tough enough to face the challenges ahead. Because if we have to leave this property, I want us leaving knowing we didn't leave because we didn't have enough faith. We're leaving because we have so much faith. God has a new adventure for us. Thank you so much for joining us on the Mosaic Podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message you've just received, allow it to go deeply into your soul, to allow Jesus to do the deep work that only he can do. And I also want to encourage you to be a part of what we're doing here at Mosaic, to go to the Mosaic app and to become a part of the Mosaic Foundation, to become a regular giver and investor in bringing this message across the world. I want to thank you so much for being here with us. God bless you.